Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats Podcast. We're coming rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here in Liberty, the Kansas State Sporting News that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Hunter Balthazor. And welcome to the post-regular season-ish, you know, Big 12 Championship. We'll count that as regular season. Pre-bowl. Pre-bowl, ask the Alley Cats segment. And... You know, there's not there's not much to say, so let's just dive straight into the first set of questions. Question one: Should the football team make like the rest of the athletics teams and adopt lavender as a tertiary color? You can take this one first. Um, I will say they should make the uh football team do it, but I do think that they should do that. I would love to see lavender used as a trim and an accent uh, for the football team. If they wanted to be bold, uh, they could roll with like lavender helmets or something like that, but I don't know how popular that would be. Um, I, I think it's something that we'd see eased in to the, uh, the minds of football fans because there's already enough bad vibes around about alternate uniforms as it is. Yeah. So uh, at this rate, we're going to have to schedule like a high school team to wear alternates against just so we can break the curse. Like we're going to like scrounge together a Fort Riley squad or something or play Manhattan high or schedule <laughs> Tennessee tech or dad. Honestly, that, that's equivalent I'd say, but um, <laughs> I, I do think that uh, it would be smart because a lot of athletics has started to move into that category. Volleyball has used it. Uh, the uh, soccer team, I think they used it in like their warm-up shirts at one point. Baseball, the coaches wear lavender. Obviously, the men's basketball team has a lot of lavender. Uh, we've seen the like golf team, team has lavender hats. It's, I think they've had lavender hats at one point or another. You might be right. I don't recall because the ba- the baseball team has a lot of really good uniforms, like, the green like they, and purple. Yeah the the baseball team has arguably the best. A uh, collection of uniforms, I'd say. Top I don't to bottom. think it's. I don't think it's arguable. I think yeah. that's a fact. <laughs> if the men's basketball standards were not terrible, because they are pretty bad right now, uh, then I think it would be men's basketball. But the standards are so bad, they drag down the really good alternates. Yeah. Um. But yes, uh, that's a long way to say that I do think football should start using lavender, uh, in its uniforms because I I think that they could. Uh, draw up a lot of merch sales for that probably sell some jerseys but we'll see yeah i agree i i think it's like it's i don't think it should ever be a primary or secondary color on a uniform i think it should probably be an accent color you know, maybe if you like if you have the same cleats have lavender trims on the cleats or on the on the sleeves have the stripes be lavender have a lavender stripe on the helmet you know just small stuff i don't I don't think it should be like its own alternate uniform unless it's the one that, that Mike Stanley drew up that, that one, that would work. But I, as a tertiary color, yeah, I think they should embrace it. Next up, what additions should Gene Taylor think about for the athletics pavilion? I think you and I, okay. We actually, dis- there are a couple of these questions that we discussed at length before the episode in our normal 30 minute pre episode episode that we do. Yeah. Um, so I'll take the one that I kind of got at, and you can take the one that I, that I actually like better, but it's your idea. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I think we should more develop the, 
or develop a trailblazer area in the athletics pavilion, really embrace it as opposed to, you know, having one day a year is like, oh, here is K-State's first like black football player. And maybe include, you know, who is K-State's first female All-American? Who was the like, the first black women's basketball player, first black basketball player? And just all the things like that. And Connor, you you have the the best reason as to why. So I'll I will defer to you on the why and also your better idea, which it that's it's it's just an awesome idea. Yeah. Well, I I think that we should do it mainly just because I I feel like KC did a was kind of at the forefront of uh, um integrating I guess on the uh, uh, race front uh, when it came to athletics because I as I recall we had the first black scholarship player uh in football we had the first black head coach uh and dave baker um and big 12 baseball um we had the oh we had the first black athlete i think overall uh which was earl woods as i recall and there's a few others that i'm forgetting um but it it does feel like k-state was on the forefront a lot in that regard and this isn't like my original viewpoint or anything like this is influenced by plenty of other k-state people and media whose name who i can't recall who's spoken at length about this i think scott may have on basketball boys a lot scott has talked a lot about this yeah yeah. but i i do think that there should be more of a effort to publicize uh some of that stuff beyond just saying uh, a little bit about it. I mean, we may even need to get to a point where, you know, statues are are put up or there's like really visible stuff that, you know, says this. There should be stuff on the uh, football concourse as well as I think there's like an area maybe on the Brownwich concourse, but like I just I did a full lap around the Brownwich concourse uh, at the Wichita State game and I didn't see it. Uh, so I'm not saying it's not there, but I was unable to notice it mixed in with everything else. So uh, there is that. But beyond that, another thing that I think would be really cool to add uh, to like the athletics uh, complex uh, somewhere where it would be visible would be like uh, in areas relevant to whatever the sport is, like a history of K-State uniforms. I, I think that something like that would be really interesting. Like for football, you could have... Uh, different mannequins wearing all the uniforms throughout history. Uh, basketball, they're the same. Uh, volleyball, they could do that uh, as well. Uh, just whatever, wherever it's uh, relevant uh, for the particular sport. Um, I, I think that uh, we should really consider doing that uh, just uh, as a, a, a homage to the heritage of K-State sports. So just to publicize some of the retro and classic designs uh, a little bit more. Um just because, especially for a sport like football, where the uniforms have remained the same for uh, the last 25 years, however long, 30-ish years. Uh, so, wow. yeah, a, a while, over 30 years now. Um, so, may want to consider doing that just to, uh, to, to show the past and whatnot. Yeah. Last question from this set. What should we target in the transfer portal? Um, in turn, in for me, t- the tier one of what we need is safety and receiver. Tier two is defensive line, specifically defensive end, nose tackle, 
probably in there as well would be no, 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 no. I'll just I'll take tier tier two's just defensive line, tier three another Mike linebacker, tier four anything else. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good ranking. I mean, safety has been pretty much a top priority every off season just because we have had a uh, a penchant for uh, veteran safeties, uh, kind of plug and play, one and done guys, uh, and it's worked pretty well. Honestly, all things considered, uh, the last two years. Uh, so it it may be something that we want to uh, continue. Although there are young guys like VJ Payne that will probably start. Kobe Savage will be back, uh, but TJ Smith just transferred, so there's going to have to be at least one more person back there. So um, I I I think that's a good one. The positions that are probably safe are quarterback, offensive line, corners probably safe. Uh, we may take like an elite guy if they just decide if they want to come to K-State and go nowhere else for some reason. Yeah, that's kind uh, of what happened to Juju, but... Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so, so we may do that. Um, but beyond that, I, I could see us taking about any position. Probably wouldn't take a tight end, I don't think. Again, unless we get an elite option. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think receiver also would be a really big need. Like get a big splash, immediate impact guy. Uh, to pair with hopefully the emergence of RJ Garcia and hopefully an emerging uh, Jaden Jackson, who we didn't see much of this year. So, yeah. um, but there, there's plenty of uh, little spots that we need depth. Yep. Next question is from Sam from one of my classes. So if you're listening to this, Sam, hello. <laughs> what did both of you see in Will that made you believe in him? Um, freshman year, like Will's freshman year, my sophomore year, I really couldn't give you an answer because the entire time I was just saying like, well, he, he won a few games and then it all, you know, went South, went awfully, but that's because of that season. Like it was just because the COVID year was terrible for everyone involved. But uh, the sophomore year is when I think it kind of clicked for me. Because I realized that like we both collectively realized, wait a minute, he's actually really smart. Wait a minute, he's generally making the right decision. He's just a little bit off whenever he's making one of his throws. And also, you know, it it was one mechanical issue that it, it was his feet. His feet were what was messing with him. He had a solid arm. It was just he kept pigeon toeing everywhere, and that made him inaccurate. And Alongside that, him being a smart guy with athletic upside or at least a solid arm, I, I we both touched on this a lot last year. Messingham clearly did not trust him, and that's where the, the, the joke came from. The best Will Howard play call was made by Will Howard. But I, for a lot of time, it was just kind of a gut feeling and a belief in the staff. But... That's that's at least what it was for me. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speak with f- exclusively for you, but that's what it was for me. Yeah, I I think that played a big role in it uh, for me, uh, knowing that the mechanics uh, could be worked out pretty simply. Another thing for me was that I think Will was kind of being unfairly thrown to the wolves uh, because you have to I think really put his career up until this season in a different context, because for one, 
he came to K-State as an early enrollee uh, and gets in maybe a month, month and a half of workouts until COVID hits and shuts everything down. Uh, and then he gets a fall camp. I think he had all of like maybe a week or two of practice before he was taking division one snaps and starting. Uh, and then he, so at that point he he's had hardly any division one work. You're basically throwing a high school quarterback out there, which is unfair to him, but also speaks to how bare the cupboard was. Um, I think, uh, at, at quarterback. Where Nick Ost and Jaron Lewis were the other two options. Yes. And we saw Nick Ost a little bit later in the season and never saw Jaron. And so Will was already in a really difficult position there. And I also don't think that people realize that most freshman quarterbacks are not Trevor Lawrence. In fact, none are. Trevor Lawrence is the exception. So Throwing in a true freshman, a quarterback generally means that you're desperate for someone that semi knows the playbook and can maybe get the ball where it needs to be sometimes. And I think Will's admittedly as part of a frustrating season uh, being held uh, as like the blame uh, for for something, I think, unfairly. And um, I, I, I so I was willing to give him more shots after that, because at the end of the day, he's a true freshman being thrust in an incredibly difficult situation with pretty much no practice and a crumbling locker room. I, I don't think many, if any freshmen in the entire country would have succeeded in that scenario. So I, I don't think that it was fair at all uh, to Will Howard to really tear him down like that. And then sophomore year, it was really just that he was close and still young. Cause I, I pretty much considered his sophomore year to be his freshman year. Yep. Like this year, I pretty much consider this to be sophomore Will Howard based off how much development he was able to get uh, his freshman year. I mean, that year was basically a waste. Like, just throw that in the trash. I think his career, his career truly started January 1st, 2021, I think, is when his K-State career should be considered to have begun based yeah. off of how tumultuous and awful that freshman year was for all parties involved. So... Uh, but that I, I was willing to be patient with him, I think more so than most. And a lot of that is just because we had a really bad year and things were looking really down uh, at that point. Like People were ready to throw climb into the wolves after that 2020 season. So good thing we did. It looks like he but, served a presidential term. I, he, he looks right. He, he looked like he had seen something <laughs> like it, it was not good. He but, got dropped in the middle of a war zone and was made to look at everything. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah, that, that was probably a pretty rough season for Chris Kleiman. But yeah, Will just that we had faith that he was a good quarterback, just had to connect the mental and physical side of things. And this year he absolutely did that. Uh, a lot of that's because he developed naturally. I mean, he's in his technically third year. Yeah, I guess like <laughs> truly it's his you third year. You want to count? Yeah. Yeah. Like, if we count the COVID year, yeah, it's his third year. So everything's really coming together and clicking for him. Uh, so third year in the system, uh, he has a play caller that believes in him and a solid offense around him that also believes in him. And he, he's just grown up. That's what that's pretty much what it comes down to, I think. Plus, we always heard from you know people who knew, whether it be you know just people that I talked to, you know, players on the team, or even hearing from multiple K State voices that. You know, practice Will Howard is the best quarterback on the team. 
Yeah. yeah. And it seems like we got practice Will Howard more recently. The yeah. joke answer that I was willing to provide was that his idol was always Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz was buns until his junior year. But <laughs> I, that was the joke answer. <laughs> It's worth saying that uh, when we when you and I went to the uh, open practice uh, back in 2021, Will Howard objectively, I felt like that day was the better passer between him and Skyler. Like he looked really good in in that game or in that like that practice, I should say, mm-hmm. and that like really like cemented it for us, I, I think. But we were already pretty certain before then. Yep. Thank you, Sam. Next up, the good chef, Andre Napier. Are all the other Big 12 fan bases toxic just because, or does K-State winning make everybody lose their mind? I'll put a caveat here. I will stick my neck out for two fan bases in particular. The Texas Tech fan base and the Oklahoma State fan base has done nothing ill towards us. It's mostly, it's mostly TCU, Iowa State, and KU, which... It's the team we beat and then our two rivals. I, But at the exact same time, I think it is. a Well, KU fans are delusional. But the other ones, I think it's just a product of us winning. Like, TCU fans are mad because they lost for an undefeated season. Completely understandable. I would be too. I would be upset with that as well. I, I think it is because K-State won. I don't think any of the fan bases are inherently toxic. They're delusional, but I don't think toxic is the right word. Yeah, and there's going to be elements of like toxicity within most fan bases, but even the ones that are primarily toxic, like I'll say OU in Texas, a lot of it's just because of their size, because of the casual nature of their fan base, just because they, they have a lot more t-shirt fans than most fan bases. So they just get a lot of people that just like, don't know how to act, I guess. I like, don't really know what they're talking about, so... Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, next question. Talk recruiting and how a Big 12 title impacts your opinion of it. Also highlight your favorite recruit in this class. We'll tackle the first part. I think the Big 12 championship, obviously it increases high school recruiting because no one, or at least very few people will have a loser as their first choice. Or at least a a winner will be at the forefront of their choices. That's why perennial championship teams such as Oklahoma, when Oklahoma, when they were good and still are, have that pedigree of recruits Why Alabama, Georgia, they all have that pedigree is because they keep winning championships. I think the real place where it's going to show a lot of difference though, is in the transfer portal this year, because I think that there are a lot of, younger recruits who are more willing to be sold on glitz and glamour that I I hate to say it, Manhattan doesn't really have. It's, it's not saying that Manhattan's a bad city. I love it here. I want to end up working and eventually retiring here, but it, it isn't, it isn't an Austin. It isn't a, you know, it isn't a Dallas Fort Worth. It isn't, it's not a metropolis. It's not a metropolis and it never will be. But, and it also doesn't have necessarily the history of, you know, we're not national contenders that can overcome that, like Tuscaloosa or Clemson. If you've ever been to Clemson, you know that no one goes to Clemson to go to Clemson. (laughs) Yeah. But I, 
I think that a lot of people who enter the transfer portal are looking for playing time or they're looking to win. So I think that it will really, on top of already being a really great portal team outside of linebackers, we probably will see a pretty big upkeep in transfers here. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Because uh, the staff has already done a really good job recruiting the portal um, for the most part. I mean, they have a handful of misses uh, every year. Everyone does. Yeah. But for the most part, they they really do hit the portal quite well. Uh, Julius Brents was a portal guy. Uh, uh, Daniel Matterbebe last year, uh, he was a portal guy as well. Uh, Cade Warner, Major Martinez. So, I mean, I'm not going to go through name everyone, but we generally do a good job already in the portal. So I'm hoping that uh, on-field success um, is going to... Uh, seriously help uh, in that department. I, I think it'll hopefully be a bigger factor next year. The big thing I think is going to be sustained success. Uh, one title gets people's attention uh, and is willing to get them to look, but we really need to compound this into a sustained uh, culture of success. We can't just, we can't get away with just one. So okay, we got to do more. Yeah. As an old baseball coach of mine used to say, once is an accident, twice is a coincidence, three times you're doing it on purpose. So I guess that's the goal. <laughs> As for the second part of the question, the highlight, the the favorite recruit in the class, uh, we put a caveat here where we can't say Avery Johnson because that would be the most obvious answer ever because yeah. it's the best case state quarterback commit at least on paper ever yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, it, it would be very unfair uh, to allow Avery Johnson because he has even surpassed uh, Josh Freeman on the 24-7 composite uh, Avery Johnson's up to the number six all-time recruit uh, for for K-State so uh, that, that that's a lot because uh, he, uh, he got a bump on rivals he jumped like like a hundred spots in their national rankings. So now the composites have them up even higher. So I'll, I'll let you give your, I will say that this was another one that we talked about earlier. This actually a lot of chefs questions we talked about earlier because they're very interesting. I believe two of our, we ended up deciding on a top three system. I believe two of our top three matched. Yeah. Uh, so my top three, um, I started with Joe Jackson, uh, running back from Florida, uh, and then I have Jordan Allen. He is a, uh, edge rusher prospect from Olathe. Uh, and then I went ahead and ended with, uh, Cameron Salas of Kennedale, uh, in Texas. He's a safety. Uh, and I ended up rolling with Jordan Allen out of that group. Uh, I think he might be the most underrated maybe in this class. There's a lot of underrated prospects in this group, I would say. Uh, obviously, Salas is a big one because he's towards the bottom in terms of rankings. I think he's going to be really good. Uh, but Jordan Allen uh, is a freak of nature, I would say. Uh, he's like 6'4", 240, edge rusher, uh, probably more than 240 at this point. Plays tight end as well. He recently picked up offers from Tennessee and Oklahoma and has declined them pretty much and so he should be a probably mid four star guy 
I would say at this point. Uh, instead, he's more of a mid to high three star. I think he's pretty underrated. He's an athletic monster right now. And with some development, he could be really, really good off the edge uh, for K-State. I, I, his, his film was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, he just dominates people uh at times like it's unfair and it's in the uh most competitive uh area for kansas high school football as well and the kc area so uh he he's gonna do really big things for k-state yeah absolutely yeah the two that matched were between you and i were joe jackson and jordan allen my third was actually will ancio and that's just because I see a six six tight end and just like the neurons in my brain start firing and like, wait a minute, he's six he's six six. That's literally just basketball player. That's just top shelf it. Like that's just top shelf the ball. And looking at his film, he played receiver. <laughs> so he has experience with top shelfing the ball. And yeah, I, I think Will Ancio, tight end is always going to be a developmental position. Brian LePac said as much. But I really do think that Will Ancio has the potential to break through the depth chart a lot faster than a lot of people are expecting. He's probably my favorite tight end recruit that we've gotten while while we've been doing the show, more so than Lofton and Oakley, which I know you loved Oakley. I enjoyed Oakley. I was an Oakley enjoyer, but I still think Ancio will probably end up being better. That being said, my favorite non-Avery Johnson recruit out of this entire group is Joe Jackson. And the main reason I say Joe Jackson is because if Swiss Army Knife was a player, it would be Joe Jackson. There was times that whenever we first watched him, I was thinking, wait a minute, that's like he has running back skill set and slot receiver skill set. To me, he has that legit speed, that legit ability with the ball in his hands, the ability to catch the ball and run pretty solid routes with that that agility. Really, I think that he probably steps in. I think he gets legit time as a true freshman, barring a, a transfer back that comes in with his skill set. Because we have DJ Giddens, who's a good all-rounder slash power back. We have Tony Frias, who is just run it through a guy's face. We don't really have that that third, not necessarily scat back type, but that receiving back. Giddens has receiving upside, but he's not a true receiving back. But I, Joe Jackson to me is my favorite non Avery Johnson commit. Yeah, that's another great pick. Will Ancia is a really good shout out as well, because I think he's also going to be really, really good. I wrangled uh, with putting him in my top three. I primarily didn't just so we wouldn't have identical ones. Uh, and also, I do really like Cameron Salas, but yeah. Yeah, there, there are a lot of great names, like a lot of really underrated names, which that'll that'll come in the summer when we do the, the full class recap. That was one of my favorite episodes we did this last year. But mm-hmm. next up, it, this is the one that caused the most discussion pre-episode between Connor and I. In a 14 table like the World Cup, Between 1998, 2003, 2012, and 2022, what K-State teams come out on top of the group? This, yeah, Connor and I had, what was it? It was probably like a good 15-minute discussion about this one. 
And we ended up with the same first, but it was two through three. It was two through four that really gave us trouble. We yeah. both said 98 cleared. Yeah. 98 clears all of these. And I was thinking about this in the context of how they performed and competed at like their time. Uh, and uh, I, I, I kind of grouped them in like closer together ones as well. Like, like the closer together years, like how 12 might do against 22 and how three may do against 98. I didn't really compare 98 and 22 so much just because the game is so much different now. But um, yeah, 98 definitely clears all of these, I think, in terms of uh, raw talent and ability. Uh, I, I don't know how close it is really between 98 and the rest of them. Yeah, but it was it was two through four that that really gave us trouble. I think what I ended up settling on was from one to four, 98, 03, 22 and 12. And I know that there are a, a non-zero amount. Actually, no, I'm going to flip it. 12 and 22. I And it, it that's no disrespect to the 22 season. I It's just the other teams are so good. <laughs> yeah, I really grappled with who is third between uh, 12 and 22. Because I think 98 is first, 03 is second. Uh, but 12 and 22 is an interesting argument um, because 12 only had two losses, but in uh, the Baylor game, they just got absolutely shredded and didn't uh, really showcase depth in that game. Cause they, I mean, they really lost, I think like two players and they were done for uh, the 22 team has been through a gauntlet of injuries and has weathered it and ultimately come out an even stronger team on the other side which I think is a big point in 22's favor. I'm I'm very tempted to put 22 ahead of 12, even though 22 does have three losses right now. Uh, while uh, 2012 finished the season at uh, uh, the regular season at 11-1, uh, we're 10-3 the moment uh, in 22. I, I do think I'm going to put 22 ahead of 12, though. Uh, but by a razor thin margin, I may come to regret this. Um, <laughs> I, I I feel like the defensive units are pretty comparable. I do think the 12 team was better at stopping the run, but I do think we have a better pass defense uh, with this team. I, I think our corners are better objectively on this team on 22. Uh, and that's no disrespect to Alan Chapman and Nigel Malone. Uh, I think that our safeties are comparable. Uh, assuming that they're all healthy, I, I maybe a slight edge to twelve because Ty Zimmerman was in that room. Yeah, uh, but it's hard to measure because it's three safeties on this team versus two in twenty twelve. So it's it's tough to say. Edge rushers, Felix does clear. Uh, even though Meshack Williams was a defensive player of the year in the Big Twelve that season, uh, I, I I do think Felix is just a a, a better player. Period. Sadly, uh, and then uh, defensive tackle, I think Huggy Bear. Uh, is probably the better uh, in that group. Um, I don't even want to talk about uh, quarterback. I'm not opening that can of worms. Klein clears, nope, obviously. Don't, <laughs> don't touch that one. That's a bad one. You yeah. don't want to touch. Yeah. The the ba- maybe the most interesting debate, which I'm not going to touch 
much, mainly because I just don't want to unpack it and also don't want to take much longer on this, is the running back debate between John Hubert and Deuce Vaughn. Um, I don't know who I'd pick between those two right now. I'm gut reaction. I'm leaning Vaughn pretty heavily, but John Hubert is also maybe the most underappreciated back in case they history. Uh, he only had 1000 yards. He only had one 1000 yard season, but he had two of 900 plus as well, where he got really close to a thousand, but I don't know. There's, there's, the 22 team is very similar to the 12 team in a lot of ways in terms of like roster talent and where they're good and where they're not as good. Um, but their season, what kind of like Oh threes did I'd say where Oh three dropped some head scratchers, uh, like Oh three, we lost to Marshall, uh, this year we lose to Tulane, like similar setup in that regard, uh, drop a game to Texas that you shouldn't have. Uh, and then, uh, Oh, what was the other game that we lost this year? Why can't I think of it? The other game, we TCU. Lost the other TCU, yeah, game. TCU. Yeah. Uh, oh, three. We ended up losing like four games, I think, that year. But yeah, I'll, I'll give 22 uh, the edge at third over 2012, uh, which we could, we could argue about this for a while. We could debate the pros and cons of whatever, make an argument for everybody everywhere. We've already talked about this for a while, so I'm not going to extend it further. But <laughs> maybe this would be a, a fun offseason episode to do at some point. Uh, like when we need to uh, get some filler content in. <laughs> oh, good old filler content. Yeah, not, unless there's more realignment <laughs> this summer. Which that I, I would no simply more. not believe it. <laughs> no more, please. I, I cannot handle more realignment. I'm not making another spreadsheet. Final <laughs> uh, question from the good chef. We have to fight Bama for a bowl of sugar. What's your favorite sugary treat? And would you give it up forever? For a sugar bowl win. My favorite sugary treat is my mother's peanut butter and chocolate Reese's cupcakes. And you're going to have to put me in the ground before I give those up. Hell no. <laughs> like, I, I'm not sure if I, well, I'd probably give it up for a K-State natty, but that is probably it. Nope. Mm-mm, sorry. I will get I, smoked by Alabama before I get, I say no to my mother's cupcakes. <laughs> I've had those cupcakes and I concur with you. I love those cupcakes. They are so good. And I, I I'm so happy that every like 4th of July, I, I get to, to bring some with me now. I convince I, my I, mom to make them for Christmas and bring them to you. I would really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I I would really like that. I I'm I'm hiding the emotion that I'm feeling right now because I I'm very happy. The smile's not doing a very good job of hiding it, man. <laughs> well, they can't see that they're listening. But um, for me, uh, when I thought sugary treat initially, I went to candy for some reason, which would be Reese's. But I'm gonna expand it to everything like you did, which that would be my mom's Coca Cola cake. It doesn't taste like Coca-Cola. It's just used to like make the cake like do something in the oven. I think it's to make it rise. I don't know. My my mom will tell me. But <laughs> it's really good. Uh it's a it's a really soft cake. Uh has a lot of like like kind of like fudgy quality to it, but like still with with cake, but like fudge like consistency on top. Mm-hmm. And then it's generally served with a scoop of ice cream. I would not give that up for a sugar bowl win. Um, I would absolutely give it up forever for a natty. 100 i would give up 
many things for a national championship uh, for football. Not everything, uh, because there are some things that I think I would just look stupid for giving up, I think. (laughs) But I will... Uh, I, I would definitely give it up for a national title, but I would not give up this cake for a Sugar Bowl win. Yeah. So thank you, Chef. Next questions are from Evan D. Shenanilak. And that is, the first question is, you guys going to New Orleans? No, I can't afford it. Plus, I, I would really like to spend a little little time with my family over New Year's. I am not going because I have a wedding on New Year's Eve go like which is nuts you think that you have a winter wedding that you're gonna avoid the uh the uh the the fall wedding curse of missing football uh luckily the game's at 11 so it's not gonna matter i was very worried i was gonna have to like stealthily put an airpod in during the ceremony to listen to wyatt vision (laughs) because my girlfriend banned me from uh streaming with my phone out during the ceremony if that was the case but it's at 11 a.m so it's not gonna matter um but i yeah i i would love to go it would have been super fun uh i'm very sad i cannot go because i was unable to go to the big 12 title either um but no just it, it would be impossible uh with the the wedding that evening yeah uh what was the most next uh question from evan what is the most underrated play of the big 12 championship game me, this one's easy. It's one of the Porter brothers downing the punt with an over-the-shoulder catch at like the two. Yeah, and uh, that was mine as well. I tried to think of a different one, but I really couldn't think of anything that hasn't been noted as wow, this play was really big during the Sugar Bowl or during the Big Twelve title. And that one was too. Like, like it has been noted, but I think it's not been recognized as much. And it's tough to really rack your brain and think, oh, this play that like seemed insignificant in the moment, like really ended up being huge like i'd have to go through a full rewatch i think to really do that um but i don't know every play in that game was so huge for either team was on the margin ended up going so i I don't know what a what a fantastic game filled with very memorable moments it's it's good that there were so many moments that we struggled to think of one uh that that people yeah that hadn't been thought of already so yep most underrated player for the Big 12 championship. You know, there are a lot of answers for this. Most of them on defense. Um, probably like, for me, no, literally no one. We didn't realize Drake Cheatham had nine tackles until we looked at the stats afterwards. So I'm probably going to go with Drake. Yeah, I think that's the right pick. He had nine tackles. He did it all with a club on his hand, or Reggie Stubblefield style. So I... I, I would definitely have to say Drake. Not to not to copy your answer, but I mean, really, when we were going through the box score, we didn't know that he had nine tackles until after we, we looked at the box score. So like, wait a minute, Drake had nine tackles. Oh, oh I guess he yeah. had nine tackles. Yep. So gotta be him, I uh, I think. Yep. Honorable mentions were Keenan Garber and Jacob Parrish. Yeah. <laughs> Next question. Who do you think will be a better lawyer? I can't help but feel like this was baiting us to argue. <laughs> yeah. And all, all it did was cause me to say, I think it's going to be you. <laughs> but, but we ultimately came to the conclusion that we're really not going to be the same kind of lawyer. No. So I don't really think it's possible to compare. I mean, you, you're going to be doing trial stuff. I'm going to be doing more transactional stuff. And just because that's what we're better suited for. So yeah, I, 
it's not really comparable. So we're not taking the bait here, Evan. <laughs> you you heathen. So you you can't true fool us. Alley cat, Evan. Yeah, yeah. You're still a true alley cat, but we we cannot be fooled by your by your silky words. Yeah. To to basically give the the real answers, like he's like Connor said, we we want to do a completely different type of law. I want to do family law specifically dealing with child custody and child protection, um, which there, there's a very long story and I would have to recap like a solid 65% of my life to, to, to explain why that type of law specifically speaks to me. But just suffice it to say that I feel it is my calling in life to help children out of bad situations so that they have a better shot at life. I think that that is my calling on this earth. Um, but that involves a lot of, you know, trial work, a lot of advocacy and me and my ability to get up and talk in front of people probably makes a better attorney in that sense. But, you know, with the type of law that Connor wants to do, which I'll let him talk about in a minute, he's the type of law Connor would want to do would bore the hell out of me. <laughs> Yeah. And the type of law that you want to do would stress me out to no end. Like I, I would literally not be able to function as a human being, like outside of like uh, the practice I would be doing, like not even because of like the subject matter, but just because of constantly being a trial, like that would be the thing that stresses me out so much. Like, so I, I would say, well, what I want to do is going to be uh state planning and, uh, Real estate law I might dabble in a little bit, but I don't know. Hopefully, I'll have an internship or clerkship uh, this upcoming summer, so I can uh, get a broad understanding. Uh, which, fun fact for you, Ace, doing that will be huge for you. I recommend trying to find a general practice so you can get exposed to lots of different stuff. I don't know why I'm telling you that here, but <laughs> if there are any There's other any aspiring lawyers listening to to this podcast, uh, yeah, uh, try and uh, diversify uh, with your summer internship. And, do a lot of things a little bit and figure out what you like. But um, yeah, I want to do estate planning, uh, work with uh, older people and in that regard, I guess, and then uh, do real estate uh, to a certain degree. I don't know a ton about real estate law other than I know of a person who does it and they seem pretty happy with their life. So I'm, I'm mainly trying to find a, a field where I can do more personal one-on-one stuff uh, and like uh, on, I guess, one-on-one and then like one like versus like a couple uh and i just work with people and like planning their future and because i i don't know i feel like it's very stable uh it's very open and shut most of the time and uh generally you're working with uh, really good people and also a lot of law you're dealing with people at like their worst and estate planning generally you're not doing that not always but uh, you're, you're helping people in a more relaxed setting because I, I am an anxious person. So I, I, I don't want to do like murder defense stuff because <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to sleep and I, I know my limits in that regard. So like, like maybe a trial will be fun every now and then, but like, I, I'm, I'm more than aware of what I would be able to do and still function and what I wouldn't be able to do. So and uh, that's where you and I differ because the stuff that I want to do, like the more transactional stuff, like would be a slog for you and you would not, you would not enjoy it at all. So, but that's why there's different types of lawyers. 
It's also funny that we're kind of dealing with the opposite ends of life. <laughs> yeah, that, that is actually very true. That That is funny. I mean, when you think about it. Yeah. Now you know the, the story of what motivates both of us to do law. <laughs> I've, that would be like a more personal Q&A question, but now you know. Yeah. Uh, this is a question exclusively for Connor at this point. How has managing law school with your cat's fandom been going? For most of the fall, it was a little bit easier than I anticipated. I mainly because I expected the absolute worst in terms of managing it. And it was still a lot. It was more difficult than undergrad, of course. Um, but I was able to get to all the home games just because it's not a super long drive uh, from Topeka to place to stay. And it was, uh, uh, it wasn't too bad at all. Um, the only big issues really have been from the big 12 title that because I've like been so excited about it that I've really struggled to study and I have finals coming up. So I, I am definitely, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely stressing about that and I've been struggling to focus on it. Uh, I have my first final, uh, the day that this drops. Uh, so if you're listening to this, uh, at like 8am, I have started. So <laughs> good luck, buddy. Yeah, wish me luck on that. Um, and, uh, but, but it hasn't been awful. Especially like basketball isn't too long, so I can I can find time to watch basketball normally. Uh, football's on weekends, so that isn't as bad. I uh, just have to know what you have to get done and know your capabilities and your limits, and it, it's definitely manageable. Yeah. <clears throat> next question: Set the over under in years for the next and first Big Twelve title for Climbing and Tang. Um, I'll start with Tang and I'll set my personal over under at four and a half and I will take the over because I think it will be your five. Yeah, uh, that, that's where I'm at. Four and a half, I think, is a good line. I do think it's the over as well. Um, I it, It'll probably be five or six, I think. Um, maybe it'll be earlier, um, but I'm not holding my breath that it'll be earlier. Four and a half, I do think, is a, a good line, though. Yeah, for, for Tang, I danced, I mean, for climbing, I danced with one and a half and I danced with two and a half. Um, the thing is, is that, you know, portal pending, I think we have a pretty solid chance to run it back next year. Even if we, like, even if the worst case scenario happens, we lose, we lose Felix, we lose Cooper BB, we lose Deuce. I still think that we have pieces to, that can at least do what they did at a serviceable level. I think that we have, I think Lane Gang steps in where Cooper's been playing pretty well. I think DJ Giddens can step in and be a good back. Plus, if we get another, you know, Joe Jackson's coming in. Uh, Felix, you can't replace Felix, but you have people like Donovan Ryman waiting in the wings. You have Nate Matlick still on the team. Khalid Duke hopefully moving back down to his more natural position at defensive end. So, I will officially set it at two and a half and take the under, but I don't know. Connor, what about you? Um, I was going back and forth between one and a half, two and a half. I'll say one and a half and I will take the over. I think, um, I was, I, I do think that we'll have a really good shot at getting back, next year but i don't know if we'll win just because 
uh, going back to back is really hard. Uh, so I think our next best, sh- our next best shot might be Avery second year starting. Uh, after that, which that'll be, I don't know, like year three, I think, from where we are now. That'd be year three, yeah. Assuming that he starts as a redshirt freshman, which may or may not happen, but that, that that's the line that I'm setting for now. Yep. Biggest need in the transfer portal for next season. Slightly different. Uh, if I had to, I kind of separate it into tiers. But if I had to pick one position, like you can only pick one position to get transfers from this next year. What would you pick? I. So it'd be definitely between my tier one and be between safety and wide receiver. Wide receiver, if we didn't get anything, it would be probably the top three would be R.J. Garcia. Jaden Jackson. Sterling? Sterling, Xavier Lloyd. Um, I don't know if he's back. I think he might be out of eligibility. Or Shane. Shane, I think, might still be here. Shane will be here. He's Shane's young, so he'll he'll be here. Um yeah, it'd be yeah, RJ, uh, and then Jaden Jackson and uh, somebody else, uh, mystery third player. <laughs> Safety would be Kobe, mm-hmm. VJ, yeah, Jordan, Jordan Wright, Perry, Perry. Oh, uh, possibly. Safety. <laughs> I I'm trying to think about if there's somebody that we're like forgetting about. Unless we want um, Parrish to slide into that third safety spot like he kind of did a couple snaps in the Big 12 championship. I think he could do it. I don't think it's his natural position, but I think he could do it. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. I'm going to go. Actually, ugh, with Parrish being able to kick back inside, I think we could make do with the safety room, assuming Jordan Perry comes along. Uh yeah i'll take a receiver i think we we desperately need receiver depth because whenever we're struggling to come up with names past you know rj and Jaden jackson which both are unproven our rj i still think will be very good and he showed his potential in the big 12 championship game on that amazing catch uh yeah i i i'm leaning towards receiver as the biggest need yeah, I, I'm kind of with you um, on that um, because I'm looking at the depth chart and I'm trying to find uh, scholarship guys um, for next year will be RJ, Jaden Jackson, Sterling Lockett, uh, Tyson Struber, uh, Brennan Hawkins, Andre Davis, Jace Brown, Wesley Watson. I'm not sure uh, if they'll be ready. Andre, I, I feel like, will be ready. But yeah, the guys I just mentioned are recruits. I don't think they'll be ready to like be a starter, like, period. They can maybe spot a few snaps here and there. I don't know if Ty Bowman is on a scholarship or not. Uh, he might be on an NIL scholarship. He's probably on an NIL scholarship. Yeah. And Xavier Lloyd, I think, is on an NIL scholarship. Yeah. Um, but, and he actually did log some snaps uh, this year. Uh, I think he was in on the last drive against Texas for a handful of snaps uh, when Malik was hurt. Yeah, he was. Uh, so, 
I don't know. I, I think receiver is probably the pick there because I do like RJ a lot uh, and Jaden I have high hopes for. But beyond that, you're pretty much just uh, crossing your fingers and hoping uh, that either Andre Davis is going to be ready or Brennan Hawkins will see the field and dominate, even though he's never played a snap. So it's uh, pretty questionable there. So I, I do think that's probably what you have to pick. Jordan Perry at safety is also dicey, but I feel less bad about that, mainly because he'd have a year under his belt in the system, and I really like him as a prospect. I see he's very similar to VJ Payne. In fact, I think they were the exact same measurables uh, coming out of high school. So I, I, I'm i going to have to roll receivers here as well. Yeah. And I, I think with defensive backs, I think we could afford to I take take a drink. This is like the fifth episode in a row that we mentioned this. Darrell Jones might be an option to kick to safety. I think if if need be, we have enough corners to where we could kick one to safety next year and have it work. I I don't think that that same opportunity exists for receivers. Yeah, and you also have to keep in mind that we're going to get our yearly Prairie View and in transfer. Ah, uh, so there there is that as well. Um, so we're we're gonna get whoever their best defensive back is and throw them in a safety. So, <laughs> yeah. Next question: Can you recall a game where the momentum seemingly did a one eighty every other drive, other than the the Big Twelve Championship? The first game that came to my mind was the Texas A and M LSU like nine. It wasn't nine. It was like seven or six or seven overtime game. That's the seven. first game that came to mind. Seven time overtime game. A K-State game, no. I can't think of one. I can't think of a K-State game off the top of my head uh, that would fit that category. Um, I, I, I truly am struggling to think of a different game uh, to, to say there. I think I might have had one earlier, but I forgot what I said. You so. said Texas Tech, Oklahoma. That's it. Yeah, the one where uh, Mahomes and Baker Mayfield each had 700 plus <laughs> passing yards. Like, I honestly don't remember the box score from that game, like the score chart, but I'm just going to assume that momentum was constantly changing because they did nothing but score in that game. Yep. So I, I I will say that game uh, probably, but for K-State games, I can't think of one. Last question from Evan. Is it weird that Zentner wanted the final field goal directly in the center of the field? It seems like most kickers choose a hash in that situation. I don't think it's weird. I think it's just like a like a preference thing. I think if you give your – I think Zentner is one of those kickers that if he thought he'd give himself the most margin of error if he was straight on because that way he could go either way. He doesn't have to worry about being too far left and shanking and then being too far right or pushing. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And he's also shown this year that uh, he does he, he really does kick straight down the middle most of the time anyways, like on extra points. And I mean, that was a dead center kick. So he probably just treated it like it was an extra point. And so I it, I don't think it's that weird. Um, maybe other kickers would probably do it differently, but I don't think, especially from that distance, I don't think it's that odd. Um because I think the closer you get, the more normal that would be. Maybe if he's further out, maybe he picks a side like that he feels more comfortable kicking from. Um, but I don't know. I, I I just don't know enough about kicking, honestly. <laughs> yeah. 
So thank you, Evan. Next questions are from Sarah Unruh, who made our wonderful, wonderful logo that we use on the podcast and our our little PFP we use with the the little cat. And that and that's it. That's it. There, she has no other relations in this podcast. Nope, not at all. Uh, there, which no- absolutely none. <laughs> which non-starter from this season would you like to see most on the field next year, RJ Garcia? RJ has to be the offensive option. Defensively, I want to see Elijah Clifton because he was nails this year as a true freshman. So I think that that has to be the pick for next year. Although there's honestly a lot of defensive options that you can roll with, but offensive, I do think it's RJ. Yeah, for me, non-starter on offense, RJ, non-starter on defense. And this comes with a caveat of I would really like to see Des Purnell because I think Des Purnell is a more like typical Sam linebacker. And if Des Purnell plays more, it probably means that we kicked Khalid Duke back to defensive end. And this isn't because Duke is a bad Sam linebacker. Far from it. He's actually fine at it, but he's a more natural defensive end. And that's why we rushed him more the back end of the year. But yeah, Des Purnell and RJ are mine. And then uh, Blake Crawford of the wonderful Shaken Blake show hosted by Blake Crawford and John Grove. Go check them out. First question, what are your thoughts on playoff expansion? I believe it was like, what, episode four? It was a very early episode that we talked about playoff expansion. It's also one of our yep. least listened to episodes. For, I think it is our, our least listened to episode. Actually, I, I really do think it is. And no, it, not quite. It is episode episode three. Three. Episode five is our least listened to episode in history. And that's the one where we talked about the Supreme Court. So who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? Absolutely shocking revelations there. Like I don't even but, remember what happened, but Oh, that's when happened. the that's when the NIL legislation came out. But Oh, that's right. But uh, to sort of don't go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> don't listen to anything before like episode like 15. <laughs> it's not worth it. Actually, not 15, like 10. I feel like everything past him was tolerable. But I really like it because at, at first Connor wanted 12. I wanted eight. I really warmed up to the idea of a 12-team playoff with automatic qualifiers and at-large bids, and that's the expansion that we're getting. So I I really like playoff expansion because I really think that it to make it... The current playoff is not a playoff. I don't care what anyone says. It's not a playoff. It's extra. It's like two extra games. It's like extra innings in baseball, whatever. But I think a true playoff is what this brings, and I think that the FCS like modeling to it. I think that that that's what makes the FCS postseason objectively better than FBS postseason. And I think it's awesome to give more schools a chance, more chances for Cinderella stories, because that's what makes March Madness the best tournament of any sport ever in history. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I I like playoff expansion. I understand uh, that people are concerned about it. I get it. I disagree. Um, I don't think it devalues the regular season because in in truth, it, it makes every game matter more, especially later in the season. Because, I mean, in the past, 
it really only ever mattered for the like top five ish teams. But now you're talking about really the whole top 25 has a shot. It also adds a lot to the conference title games. Uh, it gives more of a shot for group of fives. It adds more parity and anything to make the game more fair. I'm generally a fan of. Uh, and if it, the argument is that it's just going to be like a bunch of SEC schools. It already is. So yeah, it already that, is. that hardly matters. Um, and I, I don't know. I'm I'm generally in favor of it. Um, it does stink that it will probably uh, take up a lot of the bowls. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I'm whatever. I, I like bowl games. I do. Uh, and I think that the ones that are truly endearing are going to remain, which the endearing ones are the wacky ones. The so, Duke's Mayo Bowl. Yeah. yeah stuff like that. Uh, like the, the bad boy Miller's bad boy mowers Gasparilla Bowl. The, hey, that, you know who's that's... playing in the Gasparilla Bowl this year? Who is? MU. MU and Wake Forest are playing in the Gasparilla Bowl. I, I don't think it's sponsored by uh, by Bad Boy Mowers anymore, though. I, let me check, actually. I, you're right. I just don't know who the sponsor is. There's two Cheez-It Bowls, which is fantastic. <laughs> Although OU doesn't deserve to be in whichever one they're in. I, that's I a different conversation. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know if they're in the legitimate or illegitimate Cheez-It Bowl. The the real or the pretender cheese the bowl. I think um, they're the real one. That's it. It's United Home Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl. That is quite a sponsor. <laughs> okay. And then uh yeah, and we were talking about the Fiesta Bowl having a bad sponsor now, uh with PlayStation. It's not even PlayStation anymore, it's Verbo. That's worse. Every day the Fiesta Bowl strays further from God's light, and it's really disappointing. <laughs> and I I, I yearn for the days of the uh, Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. Just a far superior naming convention, but they didn't ask me. But that's a long way of saying that I think college football will be fine. And the playoff gives K-State a marginally better shot at ever winning a national title because you have to get in the club to have a chance. And the larger club gives us a better shot. So I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, it'll probably make the playoff more watchable. It'll bring home playoff games in, which I am all for. I think those would be fantastic environments. Uh, so I'm I'm cool with that. Um, but yeah, uh, that's kind of the extent of my thoughts for now on playoff expansion. I'm pro playoff expansion, but hey. yeah. Next up from Blake Crawford. If you were forced to make a podcast not about K-State sports, what would it be about? Uh, if we're going to stay together, the first thing that I thought of was movies, because you and I are both big moviegoers. We don't we don't go as often nowadays because, well, law student, university student, but in different cities as well. Yeah, in uh, different cities. Maybe uh, when you you, you and I, I have a you and I have a mid distance uh, podcast relationship at the moment, so yeah. it makes things difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, if I end up living in in Topeka again for law school, maybe maybe there will be more opportunities to go see films. But yeah, there's not an AMC in Topeka. There's a like Regal Theaters and a B and B theaters. We come to this place. No, not anymore, man. There is not an AMC. We do not be coming to this place in, in Topeka, Kansas. They do not have an AMC here. <laughs> yeah, it, if it oh, were in, if it were individual. I'd probably still do college football. I'd do like top five games of the week, like both pre and post, you know, just talk about, you know, what, what makes it an interesting matchup. 
If it had to be completely not related to sports, probably the most obvious answer is video games, but there are only like five games that I play. So <laughs> I, who knows? Just rotate through the same five all the time. <laughs> I mean, that'd be a choice, but what about you, Connor? Um, well, movies would obviously be a big one if we stayed together, because uh, I think that would that would be our most unified topic. Uh, we could do video games. All uh, I don't play many video games anymore, just I don't have the time. I probably will over break a lot more, um, but we'll see. Pretty much the only game I play now is Sudoku on my phone, and uh, that You're just an speaks. Old man, bro. I am old. I'm, <laughs> I was about to make a joke about that. Actually, how old I am, but um. Beyond that, I could probably do a podcast I'm trying to like stuff, stuff, other stuff that I like. I really like uh, some of the big sci fi or like kind of like space uh, franchises, uh, Star Trek and Star Wars, those are two of my uh, favorite uh, media areas. Uh, but then uh, movies or TV podcasts would also be fun as well. Uh, there's a lot of TV shows that I really like. Uh, Andor was really good. I binge watched that in two days when I should have been studying. Instead, I spent six hours every <laughs> night watching Andor, <laughs> and it was fantastic. Way better than I thought it was going to be. But um, so you should watch that if you get the chance. But other than K State sports, it's tough to think what I would have the drive to sit and take multiple hours a week to just sit and talk about into a microphone, especially if it were just me. If it were just me, that would make it really difficult because screaming into the void and hoping that people listen and are like, yeah, this, this guy's onto something. That would, that would be hard. Yeah. But I don't know. Yep. So thank you, Blake. As always, go check out Shaken Blake and follow them at ShakenBlake785, I believe it is, on Twitter. Last set of questions are from Punished Caleb. First one is, why are Ace and Connor so handsome? You can't see it, but I'm doing the the Beverly Cleary like <laughs> finger smile thing. It's very flattering. It's very flattering. <laughs> but um, thank you, Caleb. It's very flattering. Thank you, Fetish Caleb. I, I I don't I don't know how to answer. I, that. I, I don't know how to answer your question, man. But I mean, like we I, both I, we both shave. We, we yeah. both you know manicure. We don't even like. You and I have the same, like, I'm pretty sure we have the same routine for facial hair. And that's just trim it when it gets too long and you start, like, you start getting that that kind of hobo beard. (laughs) I try to do it before then because it kind of hurts to shave, like, if you haven't just gotten out of the shower when it gets really long. Uh, I try to keep mine at, like, the, I have a beard trimmer. I try to keep mine at, at, like, the five millimeter-ish range is where I, I trim mine, too. I think mine's 0. 0.7. Yeah. I, I started out around there and I've just gradually gotten shorter and shorter. Like eventually I'll be down at like two, I guess, or something. I don't know. But just the five o'clock shadow. Perpetual five o'clock shadow. So I just perpetually look like a little odd, like a little off. <laughs> like something's always just like a little bit like odd about how Peculiar I feel nobody... about that lad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but nothing, but nobody's ever able to like put a finger on it. Just like, huh, he looks a little funny. 
Yeah, the, the next question, final question of this episode is where can we ex- potentially exploit Alabama and how worried are you guys about the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball in the Sugar Bowl? Uh, second question's easier to answer. Our defense against their offense, not as much because they have five offensive tackles in the transfer portal and their starting left guard. So I think that there's there's a lot of room to take take advantage of inexperience there. Uh, their defense against our offense, it entirely depends on if Will Anderson is playing, because if Will Anderson is playing, pray, because we die. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I feel pretty similarly on our defense against their offense. Uh, I was more worried about it before like half of their offensive line room entered the portal. I'm significantly less worried about it now. Um. And then, yeah, offense against their defense, uh, it really does come down to if Will Anderson plays or not. They're still going to have athletic guys everywhere, but Will Anderson is the difference maker, obviously, being a potential top five pick. So I I, I will say it's up in the air. Uh, we'll know more probably on the time the preview episode happens, um, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. And as for the what can we potentially exploit, I haven't watched Alabama in a quite a long time but the first thing that comes to mind is spread the ball around and use tempo and take advantage of the fact that they're one of like five defenses in the country that has consistent match coverage rules it's them georgia baylor are the first that come to mind i think stanford does as well but you know i because there's no none of alabama's losses are things that we can really replicate because we don't have the athletes at receiver that Tennessee or LSU have. And I do think that our, you know, running back is infinitely better than both of those schools, but in quarterback play between, you know, Will Howard slash Adrian Martinez and, and Jalen Daniels, Jaden, Jaden Daniels is like a lateral move, but I don't know quick game <laughs> yeah quick game and uh trying to confuse their defense because this is probably the least disciplined alabama team since nick saban has been there so i i do think that the thing that really jumps off the page is to uh do things offensively uh in terms of scheme uh that can confuse them and get them out of position or kind of draw them uh somewhere else um maybe some misdirection uh, some uh, try and get people on islands or uh, confuse assignments uh, just because this team has struggled with discipline more so than most Alabama squads. So uh, that is maybe somewhere where Colin Klein can find an advantage, but we'll see. Yep. So yeah, that was the you know pre-bowl game, we'll call it, Ask the Alley Cats episode. Thank you to Everyone who sent in questions, everyone who listened this far, really appreciate it. But yeah, that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville ACATS. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and CATS. If you want to email us, we're Aggieville Alley Cats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ASC Edwards 00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doomtang Clan, 
play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.